Palm Sunday is a heavy day, so I begin on the lighter side of things. Believe it or not, the following three news items are all true. Item number one, police in Minnesota went to arrest a man named Grayson Clevenger on a burglary charge last July. When they arrived at his house, they spotted somebody matching Grayson's description driving away in a stolen Dodge Durango. Well, the detectives had Grayson's phone number, his cell phone number, so they decided to call it. Grayson answered his cell phone by saying, Dude, I can't talk. I'm being chased by the police. And then he hung up. Guess who got arrested a few hours later on two charges, burglary and theft? Item number two, a Chicago man walked into a bank and handed the teller a robber's note. The note read, be quick, give me your cash or I'll shoot. The only problem was the man had written the note on the back of his weekly pay stub which, of course, had his name and address on it. He he walked out of the door with $400. If he gets convicted, he'll spend 20 years in jail. And finally, item number three, a man tried to rob a village pantry convenience store out in Indiana last year. He demanded money and cigarettes. However, as he was getting ready to leave, and was putting his gun back into the waistband of his pants, he shot himself in the leg. The surveillance camera caught the entire thing. A short time later, the police found him at his home. As you might imagine, he was pretty easy to identify. My brothers and sisters, when legal experts speak of a smoking gun, They're referring to something that provides indisputable evidence of someone's guilt. Those three stories I just shared with you all contain smoking guns of one kind or another. I found them, incidentally, in an article entitled, The Top Ten Dumbest Criminals of 2008. And the title fits, and believe me, the other seven were no brighter than these three. When you came into church a little while ago, you all picked up a piece of palm just like this, and you took it with you to your pew. Now, you probably didn't realize it at the time, but spiritually speaking, you were actually carrying with you a smoking gun. A big smoking gun. Think for a moment of the people who spread palms in front of Jesus on the ground 2,000 years ago as he entered triumphantly on the first Palm Sunday into the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover. On that first Palm Sunday, what were these men and women doing? They were doing what we did earlier, shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And yet, what were those same people doing, or at least many of them, five days later? They were shouting, but shouting something else. Crucify him. Crucify him.
See, these palms remind us that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, in need of God's mercy. Just like those people historically who spread palms in front of Jesus 2,000 years ago were sinners in need of his forgiveness, in need of his mercy. These are a big smoking gun <laughs> testifying to our guilt. Of course, there is another dimension to all of this, which also needs to be mentioned here. You know, in the ancient world, palms were a special sign of victory. In fact, that's why they were spreading them in front of Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. They were proclaiming him to be their Messiah. So it was fitting that they put a, a roadway of palms in front of him, so to speak. Palm branches were given to people who won athletic contests in the ancient world. And so these palms that we hold in our hands today, which do remind us of our sins and of our guilt, also point us to the victory that Jesus Christ won for all of us by his passion, by his death, and by his resurrection. So they're a twofold sign. Negative, and at the very same time, positive. Today, the church invites us to walk with Jesus through the upcoming Holy Week. We begin this morning with our smoking gun. We end next Sunday with his victory. And in between, the church encourages us and even, I dare say, challenges us to reflect on the love of Jesus, the love which led him, as we heard in today's second reading, to empty himself to humble himself, to become obedient unto death. So I ask you this morning, what are you planning to do personally to make Holy Week holy for you? It's holy objectively speaking, but it's not always holy for us individually. We have to make the effort so that that will happen. What opportunities will you take advantage of this week to reflect on the Lord's mercy and love for you? for your family, for the whole human race. We have a lot going on here this week. We have morning mass, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at the regular daily mass time, 7 a.m. We have adoration of the Blessed Sacrament all day on Tuesday. We have Stations of the Cross, Tuesday evening, right after benediction, 6.05 p.m. We have morning prayer, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the morning, regular morning mass times. And most importantly, we have the liturgies, the sacred liturgies of the Easter Triduum. These are the most important, the holiest days of the church's liturgical year. We have the Mass of the Lord's Supper, 7 p.m. Thursday, and then Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in the church hall until 11 p.m. On Friday, we have the Celebration of the Lord's Passion with veneration of the cross and reception of the Holy Eucharist here in church at 7 p.m. Then we have stations twice. You will recall we have one outside, weather permitting. We go up and down Elm Street with the cross, praying the stations. We usually draw a big crowd. I love that event. It reminds a lot of people going by what Friday is. And you can see it in the cars. They're having the conversation. What do those people do? Oh yeah, it's Good Friday, isn't it? So we're performing a public service 
as well as praying. We have stations then here in church at 3 p.m. that afternoon. And then finally, there's the first Mass of Easter, the Easter Vigil Liturgy, 7.30, Holy Saturday night. I would encourage you to make every effort to put Jesus Christ first during this Holy Week by participating in as many of these activities as you can. It will help you to put Jesus first in your life in the rest of the year. And how important is that? Putting Jesus Christ first always. You know, if there's one thing that this economic crisis is teaching us is that we are foolish. We are dumber than those criminals if we put our ultimate hope in the things of this world. As many of us have discovered with our bank accounts and IRAs and everything else, with a few bad days on Wall Street, it can all go poof. Bye-bye. What should matter most to us in this life is our relationship with God. Because as, as my wise mother used to say so often, Raymond, at the end of your life, when all is said and done and you get to that final moment, it's going to be, it's going to come down to you and Jesus. Period. And I don't know about you, but when that moment comes for me, I want Jesus to take the smoking gun of my guilt out of my hand and to give me a crown. Not a crown made of pomp, but a crown of pure gold that will last forever.